When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Well, good morning, church. It's good to actually see some of you in the congregation in the room this morning and uh, not just uh, pretending that you're here and imagining that you're here, which I've been doing for now, what, has it been 10 weeks, 12 weeks, something like that, it feels like, <clears throat> longer than that. And, you know, I had attended this morning to return to uh, Romans. And, you know, we've been studying through the book of Romans for the year. We took a little break for some messages from Luke on uh, fear and anxiety and, and isolation and all those things that we've been experiencing physically. But uh, I came back from vacation and, and I was like, you know, I mean, I really, I would really like to start uh, Romans 12, which is the last portion of the book. When, when we have our opening, when everybody's here, grateful for the people who are here, but I'd love to see, you know, a larger percentage of our church, just kind of a, you know, start, to, start a renewal, you know, come back and start this thing off. And so I expressed this to uh, Paxson on uh, Thursday, which was probably not the best thing, you know, like just a couple of days before uh, we're supposed to, everything's already supposed to be done. And uh, he goes, okay, okay. And, uh, and then a few minutes later, uh, I said, I'll let you know in a little bit. I just need to think about it, pray about it. And uh, he comes back into my office a few minutes later, and his eyes are real big, and he has this smile on his face, and he goes, you know, Sunday's Pentecost Sunday. And, uh, and, so, and we all know that, that Paxson loves Ascension Sunday and Pentecost Sunday, right? And, uh, and so yeah, so I said, you know, you're right. We need to do a message on Pentecost, because this is, in a Christian year, it's, a, it's an important day. It remembers and it celebrates the incredible events that we have here in Acts chapter 2. You know, 10 days before this, Jesus had ascended into heaven. And for the first time since they had been called to be disciples, uh, the apostles and the disciples have been without the presence of Jesus, truly without his presence for 10 straight days. I mean, after his resurrection, he was with them off and on for those 40 days between the resurrection and ascension. But now they've gone without the presence of Jesus. And you know that these 120, the apostles and the disciples, 120 believers who are gathered in the upper room, you can just imagine what they were feeling and experiencing, right? Certainly, there was a, a spirit of excitement and anticipation. Jesus had told them to return to the city, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. 
But at the same time, there had to be these feelings of anxiety and fear and worry because, after all, they were following the person who had just been executed and crucified. And so here they are, they're gathered in this room, they're praying, they're fellowshipping, they take care of some business, they replace Judas Iscariot and with Matthias, who becomes now the 12th apostle, and they wait. And finally, on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit is sent. And these 120 disciples who were filled with anticipation and excitement, but also fear and tentativeness and anxiety, they walk out of that room and they change the world, right? They walk into a world that is a society where power and sex and money and political upheaval and religious strife and multiculturalism and polytheism and man-glorifying philosophies, these rule the day. That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Sounds just like our society today, yet they walk into that society with a power and a sense of purpose that ultimately shook that kingdom and that uh, empire to its core, and they expanded the kingdom of God, turning things upside down. You know, that's why this day is so important, because as we look at our society, we look at our world, we have to recognize as Christians, we need the same power of Pentecost in our lives. We face the same kind of society, the same kind of obstacles, the same kind of opportunities, and we make a mistake if we try to engage that kind of society from a posture that sees Acts chapter 2 as just a one-off historical event. We have to understand that Acts chapter 2, as much as it's given for the 120, as much as Pentecost Sunday is important for them, it's also given to us. And it's important for us today. So I want us to walk through this passage, and we're going to derive three gospel applications from the text this morning to help us understand the importance of being filled with the Spirit, of living out of the power of Pentecost. First of all, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, God gives us a taste of who He is and what is to come in our existence. And in verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, stop right there, okay? When the day of Pentecost, why did God wait 10 days to send the Holy Spirit? Was it an accident? Was it a coincidence that the Holy Spirit comes on this particular day? Of course not. God is sovereign. He's intentional. The timing of his gift of the Holy Spirit is not accidental at all. It's intentional that he sends them on this day, the high feast day of Pentecost, for at least a couple of reasons, right? That day, in and of itself, that festival, that feast, had great significance to the, to the Jewish people in the physical realm, but there was also a spiritual aspect to that day that was important to them and, and it's important to us. You know, the word Pentecost, right? It means 50. It was 50 days since Passover, the, the weekend where Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again. It was the most well-attended of all three of the great feasts of the Jewish nation. 
And it basically, just like today, it's because the weather was always good. It always fell at the end of April, 1st of May, or excuse me, in May, 1st of June. And uh, so the weather was good. People could travel from all around the empire. And, and they would, these Jews would return from their, uh, these other countries and they would attend uh, the, the Feast of Pentecost. This thing was also called the Feast of the First Fruits. This was really why the feast was held. If you go back to the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, it's the Feast of the First Fruits. In other words, the very first bit of wheat from the planting that had taken place weeks before was now becoming ripe. And they could begin to do it an initial harvest of some of that early wheat. And so the feast was very much a, a celebration designed to praise God for the New Year's crop and to look forward with anticipation of the great harvest that would soon come where they would be having an abundance of wheat and overflowing blessings from God for the coming year. And, and so this feast was meant to give them just a little taste of what was to come. And so they would make little loaves of bread out of wheat and they would sacrifice it to God and they would eat it from this first early harvest. Uh, tuck that idea of away, away. When it came to the feast of Pentecost, it's all about let's have a little taste of what we will soon enjoy in abundance. Because there's some significance there in, in our spiritual lives and why God sends the Holy Spirit on this day. But this also comes for another second reason on the day of Pentecost. The rabbis taught, and it had become well accepted within Judaism, that it was on Pentecost that Moses ascended Mount Sinai and he received uh, the, the law from God and experienced the goodness and the greatness of God at that time. You may be familiar with the story. If you aren't, let me just kind of quickly recap it. You know, Moses receives the, the law initially, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and he comes down and he sees the people having an immoral party. You remember this? And he, and he breaks the, the commandments. Well, Exodus 33 and 34 record Moses engaging with God again. And Moses asks God, he says, God, let me see your glory. And, and God tells Moses, he goes, you can't, you can't see my glory. He goes, I'll let you see a little bit of my goodness. And so what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to bring you up. And this is what he did. He brought him up to Mount Sinai. And we read this in Exodus 34. He brings him back up to Mount Sinai. And he hides him in the cleft of a rock. And he says, you can see the very end of my garment, of the glory that I have. Just the, the, the very tail end. And that's all you can handle. And sure enough, Moses gets to see this goodness and greatness of God, the glory of God up on Mount Sinai, and it transforms him, right? Just that little glimpse of just a little bit of the glory of God transfigures Moses' face. And his face is so brilliant and bright and shining that for 40 days and 40 nights, he has to wear a veil because people could not look at his face because of the residual glory of God. See, on that day, Moses got a little taste of the goodness and the greatness and the glory of God. God revealed himself to Moses on that day. He gave the law to his people on that first Pentecost. But on this second Pentecost, God reveals himself like he's never done before. Verse 2 says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In the, in the Old Testament, God typically announced himself in specific ways when he interacted with people. And it was normally with a great roar of wind and fire, but this time it's different, right? This time it is not, a, it's not the roaring wind and the pillar of fire that descends on Mount Sinai. It's not the, the burning bush, the flames of the burning bush like he did with Moses or the fiery presence that Isaiah experiences or Job experiences or the whirlwind that the prophet Elijah experiences. This time it's different. No, the fire divides like fires of tongue and it settles on each and every individual in that room and then they are indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit, and he stays. You see, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would occasionally fall upon a, a great man or woman of God for a temporary period of time to do a, a task for God. He would come like on Samson and give Samson great strength, and then he would leave. Or he would fall upon you know, David, and David would speak with inspiration, and then he would leave. But now he does something different. He comes on every individual and he indwells them. Why does he do this? Because God intends with this second Pentecost to reveal himself like he's never done before, to give us a taste, just a little taste, of what's in store for us in eternity. Because on that day, we will actually, unlike Moses, we won't have to just see the little glimpse of the back end of his garment. In eternity, we get to see God in all of his glory, face to face. And the Holy Spirit indwelling us gives us just a little taste of the goodness and the greatness and the presence and the glory of God. And it gives us something to look forward to in the future when there's a much greater abundant harvest that comes. Why do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit living in the power of Pentecost? Because the Spirit within us now reveals this goodness of God, this greatness of God, and it gives us a foretaste of what eternity is going to be like, and it gives us hope for the future. A second application, when filled with the Spirit, our tongues are inevitably affected. Verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now dropping down to verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. There's something interesting going on here, and it reminds me of something I experienced last year. Last year, I bought something that I had been wanting for quite some time. I'd been hearing about it in uh, fishing forums and other forums that I followed. In fact, I'd heard many of you just, you know, going on and on and on about this object right here. Recognize it? 
Yeah, an Instapot. All right, let's show of hands, since we have some people here this morning. How many of you have an Instapot? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you love your Instapot? Raise your hand. Yeah, you see, people love their Instapot, right? And I kept hearing about Instapot, 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 Instapot. And so I finally broke down because I had gone to some fishing forums, and now I'm hearing fishermen talk about Instapots, not just stressed out moms talking about Instapots, right? And so I bought one, and sure enough, I gotta tell you, this is a cool gadget, right? And, and what it does, if you're not familiar with it, what it does is it combines the, the functionality and the science of the old pressure cookers that you know, we used for decades to can vegetables and you know, do all these types of things that we used to do back in the day, right? And so this Instapot, you, you put liquid in it and you seal it down real tight and then it uses pressure, builds pressure up, and it cooks your food in instant instance, right? And that's why it's called Instapot, right? Things that might take hours, you know, and, and other cooking techniques, I mean, really only take like 30 minutes. And, and that's really kind of nice when you haven't really planned ahead of time and you need to put food on the table on a, a busy weekday night, right? And so the key thing about these Instapots though is the pressure builds up. And if you're not careful, they can be dangerous. And so you'll notice on this Instapot, that little black thing right there in front, you know what that is? It's the pressure release valve, right? You flip that valve to release the pressure that's been built up in this Instapot. Church, our tongues are the pressure release valves of our hearts. That's what's happening here. How do you know when you're experiencing the power of Pentecost? because your tongue is affected. And this is what you see. You know, there's, there's been all kinds of controversies in this passage, right? And people focus on all kinds of things as it relates, especially to uh, how it relates to speaking in tongues. And all the focus seems to be on the miraculous aspect of this passage, how the, these disciples are now speaking in human languages that they don't know. And certainly that's important, right? But this is missing, I think, the main point of the passage. The main point of the passage is not the how of miraculous delivery mechanisms, right? The main point of the passage is the why of their motivation. The main point of the passage is the why of the motivation and the what of their content and what they're saying. Verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues and underline this, the mighty works of God. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This is the pattern that's throughout the book of Acts. Christians that are filled with the Holy Spirit are to overflowing, they have to testify. They have to proclaim the goodness and the greatness of God in Jesus Christ. In a couple of pages and at the beginning of Acts 4, Peter is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit as he is standing before the Jerusalem council and he proclaims to them, to these spiritual leaders who crucified Jesus, the good news of the gospel. In chapter six and seven, you're gonna have the, one of the first deacons, Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the gospel throughout the city, all the way up into his martyrdom, when he is again filled with the Holy Spirit, and as the stones are being thrown, he testifies to the goodness and greatness of God. You go to Acts 13, you see it happen with Paul. 
You go throughout the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is, I think, more than it's the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and through these early Christians. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, you get a good example of it. And when they had prayed, these are all the disciples gathered in a house. They're praying for Peter and John's release from prison. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice the result. And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The real miracle of Acts chapter 2. The real indication of the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit is that these disciples were so overcome by God's presence in their lives, by the goodness and the greatness of God, they were compelled to testify. The pressure had to be released. It had to be let out. We know we are filled with the Holy Spirit. When our tongues start wagging in the right way, and we can't, can't, kids can't stop it, right? So first, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, God gives us a little taste of who he is and what's to come for us in eternity. Secondly, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, our tongues are inevitably affected. Final gospel application this morning, God blesses the nation's and builds his kingdom through spirit-filled Christians. Verses 9 and 10 have a listing of nations and ethnic groups and nationalities. There's 13, 14 of them, I think it is, something like that. And then picking up in, in, verse, uh, in verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can't keep the gospel to ourselves. We can't not testify in some way to the goodness and greatness of God. We can't keep it to ourselves. When we're full of Christ, we're compelled to speak out to prophesy. And prophesy here doesn't mean, you know, foretelling the future. It's that idea of prophecy that we tell forth the truth of who God is in Jesus Christ. We speak of Christ. We speak of the goodness of God and what he's doing in our lives. It's just that simple. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, go to Ephesians chapter 4. And five, and in Ephesians 5, when it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the, the characteristics that follow after that all involve communication, just about singing, speaking, telling truth to one another, encouraging one another, expressions of joy. In our world today, what difference would it make if God's people were known as joyful people, filled with joy? filled with words of grace and encouragement. Now listen, sometimes these words are met with skepticism. It happened here. I mean, here you have people hearing other people that they know don't know their language talking to them in their language, right? And it'd be like me going down to 
you know, Fiesta Azul and talking to my waiter in, in, in Spanish. I mean, it would shock them because it's obvious to them by now that I don't know a lick of Spanish, right? It'd be shocking. And so you would think anything that I would say to them, they would pay a close attention to, right? Yet here this is happening. Galileans who don't know Parthian and Scythian and Latin and all this, they're speaking in the languages of these people and yet they are still faced with skepticism. Oh, they must be drunk with wine. Now listen, have any of you ever had too much to drink and all of a sudden picked up the ability to speak a foreign language? Of course not. I mean, you may have some gibberish come out of your mouth, but not a foreign language. I mean, how dumb is that? So sometimes, right, our words are going to be met with skepticism. But then the other times, these words, they create curiosity. And people are like, well, I want to know more. And some of you have experienced this even. And one of the blessings, I think, of this time that we have gone through is that it's opened up opportunities for many of you to engage with loved ones, with neighbors who are tired of, you know, maybe they're stir crazy and, and you've invited them and they are now worshiping with us. And all of you guys out there on the internet who are worshiping with us, who don't normally attend our church, I'm so glad that you're curious enough to, to listen to God's word and to investigate to see, is this true or not? Because I'm gonna tell you, these are the words of life. These are the words that will change your life, that will give you an eternity of hope and blessing. So sometimes people respond with skepticism, but other times people will respond with genuine curiosity, and it gives us the opportunity to bring gospel restoration to people who so desperately need it. But regardless of the reception, at the individual level, we know something from 2,000 years now of church and Christian history that spirit-filled Christians proclaiming the goodness and the greatness of God in Jesus Christ in their lives and what he's doing, it changes people and it changes nations. It changes whole societies. Isn't it interesting, these early believers, how they represent so many of the nations People of all kinds of skin color, ethnic backgrounds, they believe the gospel, and now they're unified by God through Jesus Christ. So much so that, as we'll read in Galatians, no longer are the divisions of male and female, and slave and free, and rich and poor, and educated and illiterate, Jew and Gentile. All of these different divisions go away. This, this first harvest of believers. Remember I said there's a, there's a spiritual foreshadowing to the fact that it happened at Pentecost, this initial harvest, right, in the physical realm. Well, what we have here in Acts chapter 2 is an initial harvest that points us to a much greater harvest that we've been enjoying now for 2,000 years. Whereas the gospel goes out through spirit-filled Christians, people of every skin color, every ethnic background, every tribe, every nation, every people are coming to Jesus Christ. And it was all foreshadowed on that Pentecost Sunday when God gave that first little harvest, a little taste of the abundance of what was to come in our history of the Christian church. So Christians filled with the gospel, with the Spirit, 
speaking and living out the goodness and the greatness of God, they, they usher in a redemptive harvest for God's kingdom that transcends all the boundaries. And something else happens when we live like this. We end up building up our nation. We end up seeing diverse populations unified. We end up working for the peace of our city and for the justice of those in the society who are oppressed. We need to remember that this morning. How our nation needs this right now. Christians like this who are filled with the Spirit, with Pentecostal power, seeking the justice of the oppressed and the and the peace of the city. We're, we're living through some horrendous events, folks. Let's just think about what's happened in the last couple of weeks. We have seen a black man jogging down the street, murdered by two white men, and the governing authorities of that city did absolutely nothing to bring those men to justice. Not even a slap on the wrist. And then a week ago, we all saw what happened. The injustice, the cruelty that was inflicted on George Floyd. I was speaking to one of our police officers earlier, and he said, they, he said we've been taught 30 years, for more than 30 years, our training has taught us to not do what that man did. To compress his chest in that way so he could not breathe. He said, we've been taught for 30 years not to do that. There's no excuse for it. And then the response of these so-called activists who are going around burning our cities and tearing down our neighborhoods and looting and destroying the businesses and they're throwing out racial slurs at the police that are just as ugly and horrible as what we saw evidenced by the cop who murdered George Floyd. More than ever, our society needs Christians who are filled with the Spirit stepping up and stepping out and speaking out on these issues in our day. Not from a Republican posture or a Democratic posture, not from a conservative versus liberal posture, not from a right versus left posture, but from a right versus wrong posture from a righteousness versus sin posture. Because that's what's going on in our society. Our people don't need more training on sensitivity. Our people of our nation need to repent of sin. Racism is a sin that infects the soul. And it infects people of every color. That squad of four police in Minneapolis were made up of a white man, a black man, an Asian, and a Hispanic. And all four of them are culpable for what happened to George Floyd. Racism transcends ethnic groups. White, black, Asian, Hispanic. The colors go on. The ethnic groups go on. 
and it's sin. We don't engage. Church, we can't engage this from a political perspective. The solutions will not be found in Washington. The solution will not be found in Tallahassee or Minneapolis or any state capital. The solution to these ills in our society are found in the church of Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in Christians who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking the truth to the situations that we experience from a posture that isn't political, right or left, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, but from a posture of sinners who have been saved by God's grace, who have been united to a kingdom that transcends all ethnic and color and nationality boundaries where we are one in spirit with all people who have followed Jesus Christ. from Christians who understand that if it were not for the grace of God, we might be kneeling on somebody's neck. We might be hurling the slurs and tearing down society. If it were not for the grace of God in our lives, where would we be? And so it starts from a posture of us as Christians humbly confessing our own sin and our own need of God's grace in these kinds of topics and then speaking out the goodness of the gospel. Are you experiencing that kind of filling? Does this characterize your life? You say, no, I don't really know exactly what you're talking about, Jerry. I appreciate your honesty. And the issue here is maybe that, that you just have never experienced the filling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because you've never turned your life over to Jesus Christ. Later here in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches his message, his sermon to the people in Jerusalem, and we see 3,000, an initial harvest that starts this great abundant harvest that we've seen since then. Here's what he says. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you can't relate to what it means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, your issue is much more deep than praying and asking God to fill you with the Spirit. Your issue is to pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins to give you a heart that loves Jesus and commit your life to him. It starts there. But I will say that as somebody who follows Jesus, there are way too many times when I look at my life and I, can, I have to honestly admit I'm not necessarily living out of the fullness of the Spirit, out of the power of Pentecost. I find so often in my own life that I struggle with replacing that great best thing of being filled with the Holy Spirit, following my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and Him having the priority in my life, I replace that with the good things that God has blessed me with. I may, my heart may be set more on my children, on the blessings of this physical world, 
even the joy of ministry itself. And replace the best thing, Jesus, with a good thing. And when that happens, I don't experience the power of Pentecost. Let me just leave you with this to think about. John Piper writes, It is unthinkable that a person could be, as it were, soaked by the presence of the infinite and holy God and not be moved deeply. If you are not often moved deeply by the self-revealing presence of the judge of the world and the lover of your soul, then pray for the fulfilling of Joel 2.28. In, in the verses right after what we've read this morning, Peter preaches that this is all the fulfillment of Joel 2.28, the filling of the Holy Spirit. He says, pray for the fulfilling of the, Joel 2.28. Pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit that will transform your lives and your experience and set your gaze firmly on God's beauty in Scripture. Heavenly Father, would you reveal to us those things that perhaps have taken up an inordinate affection role in our lives that we may worship more or serve more or give more of our attention to in a way that is inordinate and out of bounds so that we are elevating something that is good to where only the Lord Jesus should sit. Would you humble us, Lord? Would you give us the grace of repentance that we so need in our lives so that we can come to you empty of ourselves so that we can be filled with you? Lord Jesus, Help us in this area. Would you pour out your spirit upon us the way you did those disciples 2,000 years ago on Pentecost Sunday? Would you fill us and continue to fill us and continue to help us to walk dependently upon you, filled with your spirit, so that as we go through our day and as we go through work and we interact with our children, oh Lord, how... How desperately parents need the power of Pentecost as they raise their children, as they disciple the next generation of believers, as they point them to you, Jesus. How important it is that parents are filled with the Spirit and not parenting out of the flesh. God, would you help us to see the desperate need that we have? Forgive us for our self-reliance. And Lord, give us a boldness. Fill us up so that we have to speak. Give us a boldness that speaks to people's deepest needs. Their need for Jesus. Only He, Lord, can heal. Only You, Lord, can heal our land. We would ask for a revival to take place in our land so healing could come to our nation. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.